0: The following sermon is from Redemption Bible Church of New Braunfels, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology in order to fulfill the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. Amen. Turn in your copy of God's Word to Hebrews 12, 28. If you've not already, Hebrews is towards the end of your Bible. We'll be in Hebrews 12, 28 this morning and this is our last message in the worship portion of our Authentic series. Next week we begin uh, to look at walk and so what we've kicked off this ministry year with is this series called Authentic, looking at what makes an authentic follower of Jesus Christ and how do we say that around here at Redemption, y'all? We say that an authentic follower of Jesus is someone who worships Christ, who walks with Christ and who works for Christ, that's right. So that's how we say it, that's what we see in the scriptures, and so we've just been going a little bit deeper into that, and this month, we've been looking at what is an authentic worshiper? What is a true worshiper? And today, we come to this topic of acceptable worship. As, we, as you're turning there, and as you're, hopefully your wheels are turning, even in your own mind, let me pose this question to you. Have you ever been denied entrance somewhere? Like you're trying to get into a store, to a house, beyond a gate, into a park, and been denied entrance. If not, I would just try this this week. Come, try to come up on like Wednesday this week and come through the doors here at Fryhide Elementary and try to get into this room. You probably won't get beyond the, the office in there, not without a, a, a proper ID and a good reason to be here, Right? They will not let you in, you will be denied access. With the history of violence in schools, with the increased security measures, you won't get very far. But did you know that the book of Hebrews has this kind of overarching theme in its 13 chapters that that shows us how to approach God? It's as if through each chapter, the, the writer of Hebrews, which we don't know who it is, by the way, but the writer of Hebrews is, is showing us the, the answer to this question, how do I gain entrance to the presence of God? And what he does is he kind of systematically takes all of the Old Testament priests and prophets and the, the old sacrificial system, and in every instance, he shows Jesus is supreme. Jesus is better, y'all, amen? Amen. Jesus is better, and that's what you could say is really the the theme of this book, is Jesus is better. He concludes that in every instance, and and as we get to chapter 12 here, as it pertains to us and our focus on being an authentic follower of Christ, today's verses really teach us how to offer acceptable worship. We know that only Jesus is worthy, do we not? Amen, right? We know Jesus has drawn near to us. He has come near to us, amen? We know that only Jesus truly satisfies, right? And so how do we draw near to him? How do we gain entrance into the presence of God? Well, let me read our two verses today and we'll find out then. Look at your your Bibles, Hebrews 12, 28 and 29. I'm gonna read it for us. It says this. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. These are God's words for God's people. How do we draw near? What is acceptable worship? Well, these verses teach us and would answer that question this way. Acceptable worship is offering all that we are in right response to who God is. Let me say that again. If you're taking notes, it's also on the screen here. Acceptable worship is offering all that we are in right response to who God is, we've said it all along throughout this series, haven't we? We've seen this in Revelation, we've seen this in the Old Testament, we've seen this in Jesus' words, and now we see it here in these epistles that worship is a reaction or a response to the truth of who God is, and worship involves many things, doesn't it? Is is singing a part of our worship? Yeah, yeah, come on, is singing. A- worship. Yeah, you better believe it, but it's only a part. It is not all of what worship is, is it? No, as we give our heart, it's much bigger than that. As we give uh, all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength to the Lord, this is a life of worship. Worship is a lifestyle, not just a one-hour event every Sunday morning, right? It is something that we do every day because Jesus is worthy every day. Jesus draws near to us everywhere. He satisfies us in everything. Therefore, let us offer to Jesus all that we are. And beloved, that begins with gratitude. It begins with gratitude. This is, these are where our verses go, right? We are to offer thanksgiving. We are to offer thanks in response to who God is. And so our acceptable worship, worship that God receives, begins with this heart of thanks as we offer it to him. Now, some of y'all are looking at me like, that's a little redundant, preacher. Like, haven't we talked about this, like, pretty much every week? But isn't Thanksgiving all over the scriptures? Right, as we come to our verses, right? It's just that, that that this theme, it's this thread, this vibrant thread that is all throughout the tapestry of scripture and therefore should be a, a, a color in every believer's life. We are to be a people of thanksgiving. If you miss this concept in, uh, in, in your Bible reading, then you must be blind because you can't, if you can't see this, it is literally everywhere. We are to offer our thanks. And, and we've kind of parachuted into this section of scripture, haven't we? This, this therefore here as Bible students, we know that's an important word for us, don't we? We have to look at the the surroundings so we can understand these commands here, so we can understand what the the passage is teaching us. And so let's just back out of the verses a little bit and let me kind of just set the surroundings for you. What uh, the writer of Hebrews is doing in this section of scripture is he's been contrasting two mountains that are representative of uh, two, um, really kind of teaching things, of, of two covenants, all right? On the the one hand, he's he's showing us Sinai, the place where Moses met God. So you go back and read in your Bibles, you read through Exodus as the people of Israel were freed from Egyptian captivity, and they go into the wilderness, and Moses takes them to this Mount Sinai. It's there where he received the Ten Commandments. It is there where the Mosaic Covenant was inaugurated, all those laws that God would then begin to give to Moses that would govern the people of Israel. What's interesting about this mountain and what the writer of Hebrews is comparing and contrasting is he would say Sinai is a place that they could go that they could physically touch, but they could not approach it. Hear these words from Exodus 20. Exodus 20, verse 18, this is right after uh, that he receives, Moses receives the 10 commandments, and it says this, now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled and they stood far off. And, Mo, and they said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people do not fear for God has come to test you. That the fear of him may be before you that you may not sin. But the people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. This covenant, this old covenant uh, that was inaugurated on Mount Sinai was a place that they could physically touch but they could not approach. And this is compared now to the new covenant to what he's talking back in Hebrews 12 to Mount Zion the place where metaphorically King Jesus rules from. It is the place where he mediates the new covenant, where he rules the universe from, where he intercedes for we his children. And the the irony or the contrast is that whereas Sinai could be touched but not approached, now in the new covenant, Mount Zion is a place that cannot be touched but can be approached. And who made the way that we could approach the presence of God? Jesus. Ironically enough, the king who invites us in, and it's this kingdom here, it's this kingdom that we can now approach by faith in Christ that is represented this kingdom that we have received. Let us be grateful. Let us be grateful. It's this kingdom that we've received, and if you're a believer today, this is part of your inheritance, being a part of the kingdom of God. What we received when we repented and believed—did you know that? Do you want that? Isn't that something that's just beyond us? That we, when we, we, when we repent of our sin and we believe, when we come to Christ, is there a great benefit? Is there a great uh, benefit? Is there a gift that we have received? You better believe it. You better believe it. This is what we are uh, what we are stepping into, an inheritance that is far beyond anything that we could ever we could ever achieve for ourselves. And when we receive these great benefits, when we receive a kingdom that cannot be shaken, more on that in a minute. Kiddos, when someone gives you a gift, what do you say in response? What should you say in response? Lay it on me, kiddos. What do we say? You get a gift? Hey, there you go. That's right. Beloved as God's children who've been saved by faith, been saved by God's grace, who've been given a gift, let us say, thanks let us be grateful for receiving this kingdom that cannot be shaken let's go in a little bit deeper in this let's go a little bit further on this idea of the kingdom so we can go further with our thanks see we uh, beloved and what the writer of hebrews is really kind of laying out for us here is we live in this this dimension of an already but not yet we live in this dimension of an already but not yet as followers of Christ. There are dimensions of our faith that we enjoy now but we also eagerly await our, the, the full experience of it. We, even now we experience the first fruits of the spirit. Romans eight says, we we experience it, but we await our full adoption when we are actually physically in this kingdom. We we, uh, enjoy our redemption, our salvation now spiritually, but we await the full experience of it physically when we are with the Lord in paradise, in his kingdom. And it's the same already, but not yet dimension that is true of the kingdom of God. There's really two dimensions. Is Christ ruling and reigning now over his universal kingdom? Better believe it. He's sitting on the Father's throne. His kingdom, as Psalm 145 says, is an everlasting kingdom. His dominion is throughout all generations. Is Jesus in control of the universe here and now? You better believe it. You better believe it. But there's also this aspect that the scriptures talk about of his mediatorial kingdom, that which we await where Jesus will physically rule on David's throne for a 1,000 years as promised first in 2 Samuel 16 and then described in, in greater detail in Revelation 20. We await God's fulfillment of these promises. And when that is all over, then the the, the new heavens and the new earth, those... those, uh, those uh, Kingdoms, sorry, those kingdoms will be merged into one and and the new heavens, the new earth and Jerusalem in all its splendor where King Jesus will rule forever and we as his people will worship him forever is a day yet to come. And this, beloved, this hope that we have, this future that we have is what this writer, what this verse here in Hebrews describes as cannot be shaken It is something so firm, something so secure, something that can't be disturbed, moved, or thrown off course. No other government can ever overthrow our king, Jesus. It is something that will not be moved. Why? Because the king who's behind it the king who rules over it, the one who set the world in motion, the one who's carrying out the redemption plan even now as we speak, who is ruling and reigning over our universe. Redemption, when we rightly understand these things, when we even just get a glimpse of it, what should our response be? To offer thanks to God. Beloved, as we even look to the hope of our future, what all throughout the scriptures is told to be an encouragement to us, to build up our faith, to be something that, is, uh, that makes us steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. We are grateful for this, even when our world gets shaken up. You ever had that happen in your life? Something relationally in your world gets all shaken up. Government gets all shaken up. Something in your job gets all shaken up your housing situation gets all shaken up. And yet even in the midst of that experience here and now we can be steadfast and immovable because we are a part, we've received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. It's a firm foundation upon which we stand even when everything around us is shaking like a leaf. This settles us, does it not? This keeps us from giving in, of getting off course, of taking our eyes off Christ when our eyes are fixed on who is immovable, who is unchangeable. We give thanks. We give thanks in acceptable worship by just acknowledging that Jesus, your kingdom, your plan, your rule is better. It is better. It is better. Beloved, let us offer thanks, which is really where our acceptable worship begins, but it continues through Service. It continues through service. Acceptable worship offers service. Look where our verse goes here. After this kingdom that cannot be shaken, he says, thus let us offer to God acceptable worship, which is really the crux of these two verses. Let us offer service. And here's what I fear is is, uh, the case, is the reality far too often, is that we get the concept of worship backwards far too often. See, we approach God not to mention his church, with the mindset of, what do I get out of this? We read our Bible and we'll think, well, I didn't get much out of that today. We leave a service and we're like, you know, I really wasn't feeling those songs today. We weigh our options for uh, what, where we're going to serve, and we're like, well, what, am I, what kind of accolades will I get out of this? And we come with this mentality of what I'm going to get versus what I can give. Verses like this really impress upon us that worship is not about getting, but it's about giving. And really, here's kind of the irony of it. Here's, here's the thing, when we come into it with this idea of giving, it's really then that we get. <laughs> but we, if we approach it backwards, we won't get either but when we come to it with a mentality of, this is what I give, it's an offering. This is what he means, this is when he talks about worship, it is something that we bring, something that we give, and you know, in our church circles, kind of in American Christianity, we think of offering or something that we offer as what? Money. It's like our money, right? That's something that we, that we give, and that is a part of it, no doubt, that's a part of it, that's a, an expression of our heart, but it's more than that. It's all of who we are, giving our time, talent, and treasure to the Lord in a spiritual service of worship. And what's interesting, this word worship can also be rightly translated as service. As service, and you see this, some, some translations in your Bible, depending upon what you have, may actually say that here. It may say service. But, you know, what's, what's interesting here is because really the idea of this word is it carries with it this idea of the Old Testament priests when they would offer their service to God in the temple so that they could approach him. But we who are in Christ now can all approach the Father and we are all a royal priesthood, as 1 Peter 2 says, and so our service is worship and vice versa. We come to the Father through our acceptable worship hear this in Romans 12. Paul picks up the same idea of worship as service and service as worship. Romans 12, verse 1. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Some translations might even say your spiritual service of worship. See, our 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 worship is a giving. It is a service, it is an offering to God in all that, we, all that we say, all that we do, all that we are. And what's really interesting in this is there is service or there is worship that we give to God that is acceptable, which means that there is probably also, or there very well is in, uh, in our lives, there is unacceptable worship too, That's right. right? If we're giving to God something, He can reject the gift. He has made it clear as to what he will receive. And this is all of who we are. And so, as we're thinking about what is acceptable worship, we should also look at well, what is unacceptable worship or unacceptable service? Well, first, it's in our actions. Acceptable worship is lived out through a life of holiness, versus unacceptable is living a life of sin. Living a life in our sin for the unbeliever or even a believer who's engaging in sin. Our, our, if we're not dealing with our sin, and as Isaiah 59 nine two says, then that sin separates us from the Lord. He will not receive our prayers. He will not receive our worship. He will not receive our service if we are coming to him in a life of sin. But beloved, how do we get over that? What's the first step it's repentance. It's repentance. And when we come humbly repentant, God will always receive us in Christ Jesus. He will always receive us in Christ Jesus, not because of what we have done, but because of what Christ has done. Acceptable worship isn't just the manner of our life or our actions, but it is also in regards to our heart. Do we have a giving attitude or a getting attitude? a giving attitude or a getting attitude, whereas we come acceptably saying, I am going to worship the Lord, I'm gonna serve him in this way so that God receives the glory and others may benefit from my service. That's acceptable worship. It's also in our mind. As we saw last week in John four, do we have our mind set on truth or do we have our mind set on what is false? We have our minds set on what is false. True worship is worship that is in spirit and in truth, in truth. And so worship is, uh, is in truth is knowing what is true about God, who God is, biblical truth, and coming to him and serving him in right manner and believing in him. Falsehood is, uh, is like this false idea of who God is. It's ultimately idolatry if we think about it. If we have a wrong concept of the, who God is and the God whom we worship, then we're worshiping a false God if we come thinking some sort of like prosperity mindset, well, I'm going to do this in order that if I do this, then God is going to bless me in proportion to that, we might be off. And this is why things like doctrine and truth are very important for us, because it fuels our worship. God will not receive worship when he is worshiped wrongly. And so let me bring this to bear for us for a moment. Just this concept of worship and service here. Let me, let me bring this uh, to bear. What this means is that your work for Christ is also worship for Christ when you are walking with Christ. You got that? Do I need to repeat it? Your work for Christ is also worship of Christ when you are walking with Christ. See, if we are not working, then it's, then it's just good works. It's just we're trying to do something to please God, but, but we're not walking with him. Then it's neither work for Christ nor worship of Christ. But when we're walking with him, our work for Christ becomes worship of Christ when we are walking with Christ. So what does this mean? Here's just some examples. The so various ways that y'all serve in our church, our various ministry teams. You know, as you come and you serve, you know, as however the, the schedule aligns for you, that work for Christ is also worship of Christ when you're coming with a heart that is pure before the Lord, with a heart that is about giving to the Lord. It's knowing why we serve the Lord. And so you're setting up, tearing down, serving kids, making coffee, greeting people, loving people, uh, on the soundboard, playing guitars. All of that is work for Christ, but it is also worship of Christ when we are walking with Christ. See the connection? And we cannot lose sight of that, or then our, our labor for the Lord just becomes labor, and it's not work, which is worship. This isn't just in the church either, is it? This is outside the church. As we serve in our communities, many of you are involved in various things around, uh, around New Braunfels and, and, and abroad. As you serve in places like Kids Club, and as we uh, fill uh, backpacks with, our, with community and schools, as we do the various things around our community to show the love of Christ. Our work for Christ is also worship of Christ when we are walking with Christ in gospel motivations. Do you see the connection here, beloved? Acceptable worship for God takes on many shapes and forms and it is lived out through our life as we offer service to the Lord that is acceptable in the ways that he has lined out. All these Ws are intertwined, are they not? They're all intertwined with one another as an authentic follower of Christ as they flow out from inside us. See, our worship isn't just merely external, is it? Our worship isn't just in service, but as this uh, verse in our passage really kinda comes to an end here, it's also we are to offer our heart. We are to offer our heart. Look what he says here. He says, with reverence and awe. How do we worship, church? With reverence and awe. It's right there. Some say, hey, what's your worship service like? How do you worship? Well, we worship in spirit and truth and in reverence and awe. I pray that's your answer. I pray that's how we, you know, when we come here on a Sunday morning, and as you live your life, how do we worship? We worship with reverence and awe. It's with a heart that is humble, low before the Lord, a heart that is reverent as you approach God, but it is also rejoicing before Him, exalting Him, lifting Him high in awe, genuine awe, indescribable awe and wonder as we engage with the Lord and the truths of who He is. You know, the awe has kind of lost some of its awe, right? We use this word awesome all the time, you know? We don't worship like, dude, that's a pretty cool truck, bro. That's pretty awesome. That's not the type of awe when we engage the Lord, right? It is an indescribable awe as we think of the great length that he went to to save us. As we think of the enormity of God's uh, creative power to set this universe into motion. That is mind-blowing awe. How do we worship? What is acceptable worship? It's worshiping him with reverence and awe. And what is a great illustration of this? What does verse 29 say? For our God is a what? A consuming fire. What, what garners the type of reverence and awe that, that, that is a great illustration of who God is? It is a massive blazing inferno, is it not? It's a massive blazing inferno. I'd love to just like, I'm kind of a pyromaniac, but maybe to like set a big pallet fire right here and come in, but we'd probably be kicked out of the school today if we did that. So, um, So we won't set that. So you'll just have to imagine in your mind a blazing inferno right here. A blazing inferno. Now, as you approach that, what keeps us from just running up and getting really close to a fire? It's reverence for its heat, right? It's reverence for its heat that we don't just like, we see a fire and we don't just go, you know, dive bombing into it. It keeps us at bay. And it's in reverence to the, the consuming nature of this fire. But what keeps us looking? The awe of how awesome it is, right? That this, this wood, the, the fuel that's upon it is consuming this place. You know, what draws crowds? What kept the crowds even the other night when uh, the, the German restaurant Freisenhaus was, was uh, on, in flames? What kept the crowds there? They were in awe of how powerful this fire was. Beloved, our God is a consuming fire. In the same way as we would approach a massive blazing inferno is how we approach our God in reverence, not just traipsing into his presence, not just traipsing into life, not just traipsing into a Sunday morning service. Yes, the Lord invites us, and this is really the paradox. He invites us to come as we are, but we don't just traipse into his presence without any regard to his holiness, without any regard for the sin in our life that has separated us from Christ. But what draws us in? The awe that he made a way for him. See, when this verse and in Deuteronomy 4, where this comes from, when it refers to God as a consuming fire, it's really in reference to his judgment, his wrath upon sin. That God will consume sin because he is holy and cannot tolerate sin in his presence and so thus we don't just approach him cavalierly we come reverently and in awe that he would even invite us in anyways and so his judgment doesn't just keep us away we don't run but we come near like a fire that also draws us in for its warmth but it keeps us at a distance knowing we are unique God is unique we are unlike him, we, we are careful. But this is a life of worship, of acceptable worship before the Lord in reverence and awe. And you know what's, what's beautiful about this metaphor here? When we understand who we are, we understand who God is, this is the truth that really is the, is, is the fuel for our authentic worship. When we understand God, when we understand who we are, this truth is the fuel for the fire for our worship that God gives us, that it comes from the Lord. We don't muster this fire, this passion within ourselves. up. It comes as we approach the truth of who God is. And then that is what sets our hearts ablaze with, with, uh, with, with authentic worship. And so truth is that fuel. Truth is that, is that, that kindling That makes us authentic, acceptable, true worshipers. And so, what does this mean, beloved? This means that we must have an ongoing connection with the truth, abiding in Christ, abiding with Him through the Word, through the truth, through the prayer, through our community, so that our hearts are constantly being fed this fuel that keeps us burning in reverence and awe. And so, what do we do, beloved? Do we draw near to the Lord? Do we draw near to him? You bet we can. We can draw near with confidence, as the Hebrews has already said earlier in chapter four, verse 16. Here's the call to we who've been saved in Christ. He says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Why can we draw near, beloved? What has been the, 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 the blockade that has kept us from being consumed? It's Christ. It's Christ who draws us in. It is because of Christ that we've gained access. It is Christ who's given us a new ID as children of God, as co-heirs with him, as true worshipers with him. It is Christ that has given us a reason to be there in the first place, to offer true, genuine, authentic, acceptable worship to God in spirit and in truth and in reverence and in awe. We have an ID. We have a great reason to be in the presence of God, and that is to offer him worship that is acceptable. Let us be a people and a church that does just that. Would you pray with me? God in heaven, uh, here we are. Here we are to offer you acceptable worship. Acceptable worship through our prayers, God. Here we are uh, approaching you now with reverence, mindful of what uh, is in our life, mindful of who you are. And so we don't just want to traipse in, God. These are sobering truths. So do your work in our heart that only you can do. But God, we also come before you in awe. We come before you in awe of how great you are. And Lord, you've demonstrated that to us this week. You've demonstrated it to us over and over. So we don't want to just be a people that are like kind of put on a face. We don't want to be a people that just uh, uh, fake it till we make it. We want to be authentic worshipers. How to come into your presence with reverence and an awe for how great, how glorious, how majestic you are. (coughs) Help us to do that this week, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.